All right, let's work on breaking in a new part of your Bible. Luke chapter 1. And uh, as we begin, um, I'll just make this comment and I'll try to justify it as we go through. I think that I've learned through the years that people love stories. I used to begin all of my sermons with some kind of a story that ties in with what I'm going to say. Uh, and uh, I found out just how much people love stories back where I used to live. I had a, a young kid who was probably kindergarten or first grade thereabouts. And I told a story at the beginning of one of my sermons that was one of those open-ended stories that never got to the ending of it. And uh, actually kind of took you right up to the cliff and looked off. And just as you're anticipating the, you know, the final statement that pulls it all together, the story stops. And this little boy for weeks, in fact for months after that, would catch me and ask me how the story ended. And it just kind of communicated to me that he had been tied into what I was saying. And the reason he was is because of the story itself. So what I want to do today is to uh, try to trigger our thinking at the point of the stories that we like. Now, just to kind of underscore what I'm saying that people like and even love stories. um, Now, not that we love love stories, but we at least love stories. Teresa and I were kind of doing a little channel surfing last night. And uh, this is that perfect time of the year to be disappointed if you want to catch something worthwhile on television. Now, occasionally there's, you know, that may be all the time, but uh, in our case, we have some television shows that we like to watch, and during the summertime, they're done. And uh, so we were, <laughs> we were checking out another option, which is called Netflix. Now, if you don't know what that is already, uh, you get to pay to be frustrated with what you can't watch. Um, And in this case, I flipped on the movie part of it, and I don't know how many movies were available on that screen or set of screens from Netflix, but I'm going to guess dozens, easily dozens, maybe a hundred. Now, here's what I want you to get from that. Every movie, in one sense or another, is a story. And so we just have taken the stories that we've loved through the years, literature stories. And by the way, libraries are full of books that tell stories. Bookstores have books that people go and buy that tell stories. You get the message. We love stories as people. And there's good reason in that. One of the things that stories do for us is they kind of underscore truth and value for us. We find value in some of the stories that we read and that we enjoy. Here's how that came home for me. First of all, I had a professor in college. Um, well, I, let's, I'll say it this way. I had to take American history in one of those three-week micro-terms during the summer. Now, let me, if you're thinking, if you're a college student, you're thinking about taking a three-week micro-term, let me just suggest this to you. Go stick your head in the freezer until you come to your senses, okay? Especially an American history class, three weeks worth of American history for eight hours a day. Oh, my goodness. That was a terrible decision that I made to do that. And I came out, I hated history anyway. But I came out of that with this totally despising anything having to do with historical study. 
And that stretched on for me all through college. And I'd take another history class, which I at least took during the regular part of the year. Until I got to seminary. And I had a professor. Doyle Young was his name. And Dr. Young was famous for his tests. He had triple column matching. I think I mentioned that in one of my sermons before. Well, Dr. Young taught me to love history. Because he took it beyond the date and the name and the event, you know, that part of, church, uh, of history where you just have... Well, this was a Baptist history class. And in this Baptist history class, he took me beyond my hate for history because he began to use history to tell us stories about who we were as Baptist people. You know what I figured out about us as Baptist people? We love to fight. No wonder I was a Baptist preacher. I, f- I found my calling, didn't even realize it. Baptists are a fighting people. Our whole history, we're fighting about something. And Dr. Young was able to take the stories of history and breathe life into them for us. So I came out of that, even though I had a four-inch thick textbook about Baptist history, I was able to come away from that with a newfound appreciation for history. And that did something for me when Teresa and I went to Israel a few years ago. Now, I knew some of the biblical geography Uh, And especially in the northern part of Israel. Now, these days, Syria is in the news a lot with their civil war and their proximity to Israel and all that. What you don't know is they share a common border and they regularly like to lob rockets into Israeli territory. And we were up in that area on this tour. It was the adventure part of the tour. And our guide told us that on this particular day, we were going to go to two different places in that part of Israel both of which I knew about geographically, but one of them made a difference for me because I knew the story of it. One of them was way up in the highlands, uh, and it was one of the great tank battles of the Six-Day War. And that was good enough. But the second part of the day took us down into the lower lands, down in the marshy area, where we went to Tel Dan, T-E-L, which means the ruins of, or it's kind of a raised place like a hill, uh, because there are ruins underneath it, a tell, an ancient uh, excavation site uh, of the city of Dan, D-A-N. Now, if you know your church history well, and your Old Testament history especially, Dan was the place, and when we went to this particular place, it was the spot where the children of Israel made a critical decision to walk away from God. It was at this place after Solomon, and Solomon's sons came on the scene. David and Solomon, the glory years of the children of Israel and their whole, you know, known as the kingdom of Israel. Uh, But after Solomon, his sons came in, and one of them decided, you know what, we don't want to have to go down there to Jerusalem to worship. It was too far for them to go. And besides that, it kind of threatened his particular place of authority. And so he decided, and they decided, in this place at Dan, we're going to set up our own place to do worship so we don't have to go all the way down there to Jerusalem, which violated the command of God. And it became a point of division. And so from that point forward, we know of the divided kingdom in Israeli history. Knowing the story made a difference for me when I stood on that place, which was the altar that they had uncovered from all of the years of accumulated junk and all that stuff, and they had dug down, and they showed this high place where they offered sacrifices, and Israel walked away from God. Knowing that story and how it stretched now through the centuries 
made a difference for me at that spot. Otherwise, it would have just been another pile of rocks to me. Stories matter for us. They have a way of breathing life into what otherwise might just be dead kind of stuff. They're important. They were important in the first century. For a guy who was a physician... As far as we know, he lived his life as a single man. He traveled all over the known part of the Roman Empire with a guy named the Apostle Paul. And this physician named Luke traveled around and because of his travels decided it's time for me to tell a story. And so we have the Gospel of Luke. And I'm going to invite you now to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1 if you haven't already gone there. And Luke, this physician takes it upon himself to lay out the story of Jesus Christ. And as we go into now the next... Okay, now this is where I have a, a, a bit of a struggle. Modern preaching says, don't preach series that are over four to six weeks or eight weeks or so. All right, so let me just tell you right now, I have a problem with that part of modern preaching. Uh, we're going to start a series in the book of Luke. It's the longest book in the New Testament. You know that it took me eight months to get through the Sermon on the Mount with you. That's three chapters. So just kind of settle in, all right? But the problem for me is not that we get in and get out of this series. The problem for me is that we make sure that we get something out of this series. So we're just going to jump in. And we're going to look at Luke's story. Now, there's a couple of reasons that I want us to do this. First of all, you know the old saying, familiarity breeds contempt. I'm not sure that I totally buy that. I get the spirit of what it means, but I think familiarity actually breeds boredom. When we get familiar with something and we're really familiar with it, before it's all said, no, we just kind of get bored with it. I heard that statement not too long ago, not anybody from this church, but just the statement which was, you know, I, got, I get kind of bored with church. Well, you know what? I've been in church a long time. I sort of get that. But the problem that I think we suffer with here as Christian people in the 21st century is that we have gotten so familiar with the story of Jesus Christ that Maybe we're a little bored with it. You know that Baptists have a reputation in the overall circle of Christendom, denominational life, ecumenical life, whatever you want to call it. Baptists have the reputation of centering and focusing on doctrines to the neglect of the gospel. Now, that's not what we say about ourselves. That's what other people say about us. And I think that we need to listen to that. Because my own personal history has been such. By the way, you remember that Baptist history class and we like to fight? You know what we fight about as Baptist people? Doctrines. Because we say our team is right. And another team says their team is right. And they must be wrong because they're not us. I'm talking about Baptists altogether here. And so we fight about stuff like eschatology. And... When will Jesus return? And what about all of these things that are lining up and we go to seed on that kind of stuff? Or the modern fight in Baptist life is was John Calvin right or was he 
wrong. And so we have Calvinism, and we have Arminianism, and most of you are going, I don't careism about all of that stuff. But that's what we fight about. Predestination, what does it mean? Superlapsarianism. I throw all kinds of terms out there. Most of us don't know, but that's where Baptists seem to want to fight their fights. And maybe it's because we've grown bored with the gospel story. So I want us to take some time as a church. And I want us to come back to being amazed at Jesus Christ. How long has it been in your life since you were absolutely blown away with the reality of the good news of Jesus Christ? i got a lot to say about that, so let me just see if I can jump in. All of that was introduction, so now that we're almost out of time, let's keep moving. All right, so here's the deal. Every story has a beginning, and Luke's certainly has that. As a matter of fact, one of the things that we find with Luke, this, by, I, I need to say this. Uh, the hardest sermon for any series is the first one because you got all of this stuff that you got to get onto the table. Uh, and so I'm trying to do this, get it on the table in bits and pieces rather than just bore you for the whole time. And maybe I've already lost out on that attempt. But part of, part of Luke's beginning here, these first four verses, which is where we're focusing today, uh, show us that Luke's beginning for his gospel is not like any other gospel beginning. Here's some good homework for you. Uh, as you go through this week, take each of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and study how they begin. Because one of them begins, Matthew begins with just a whole list of genealogy. That's, a, that's riveting reading for us Gentile people. Uh, and the book of John begins with some of the deepest theology slash philosophy that you're going to find anywhere in the Bible. And he gives a whole chapter's worth of that. Mark begins, Mark's just kind of down to earth. He writes it to Roman Christians and, hey, man, we're on the move. Let's go and do this. Jesus, isn't he awesome? He's doing stuff. And Mark jumps in. Luke begins with this highbrow, high-level introduction, the first four verses. And with that, we recognize that he is writing for a group of people that is not just one, although that's who it's directed to, as we'll see here in just a second. But Luke is writing into an environment of highly educated, highly critical in the sense of our uh, grammar and uh, rhetoric and that kind of stuff. Luke writes his introduction at a high, high level. It's all one sentence. It's very difficult Greek. And here's what he says. In as much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Luke, the doctor, the physician, the scientist, gets very grammatically scientific in the way he lays this out for us. And what I want to do is take just a few moments this morning to help us see just how loaded these first four verses are for us. Because we take our place right alongside Luke the storyteller if we read this and we find ourselves where we should here. Every story has a beginning. His, verse 1, he tells us this is not a new story. 
Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. In other words, I'm not the first one to do this. That might be one of those things that we ask, okay, so if it's already been told, why tell it again? Well, Teresa and I were looking through those lists of movies um, last night on television. Um, I saw a bunch that I'd seen before. Here's the kind of a reality for you. I'm not one of those guys who watches movies over and over and over again. My deal is I've seen it once, I've seen it. Okay? So sometimes we fall into that trap in our Christianity. We know the story of Jesus. So let's get over here to the meaty stuff of Hebrews. Or let's get over to Revelation where nobody knows what it is because then I'm an authority too. We've seen the Jesus story. We know the Jesus story. It bears repeating. Let me say that again. The Jesus story needs to be told and told again and told again and told again because the central element of our Christian faith is Christ himself. Many Christian people, hear me very carefully now, many Christian people love to take the name of Jesus with them. I am Christian. But they absolutely refuse to adopt his character. And so they wear his name as if it's a badge instead of a life. This story needs to be retold again and again and again, and Luke wades into that mix roughly 30, maybe as many as 50 years after Jesus ascended and went back to heaven. Luke says, this story needs to be retold. That's verse 1. And then verse 4, he tells us why. He writes to this guy named Theophilus. Most excellent is one of those honorific kind of titles. Theophilus was probably some kind of a, well, certainly he was what we would call a patron, a benefactor, one who had enough financial resource to underwrite the cost of writing a book. In those days, a very expensive thing, plus to get it all over the place and get it sent out. Uh, He's probably the guy who paid the freight, if you will, for this writing. Might very well have been a Roman official. We just don't know. But Luke says, I'm going to retell this story, and then verse 4 says, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. I think that helps us on two levels. One of them is the external level with other people. I'm going to come to that in just a second. But I I don't want to miss the obvious here. This is a good time for us to decide that together we're going to be totally honest with each other and transparent. You ever have doubts about this whole Christianity thing? I know that in a church setting, the correct answer is never. I would never have doubts about that. But let's be real with one another. What do you say? Because this is one of those times that it's not that easy for me to be transparent, but I think it's helpful. See, I've gone through periods of my Christian walk. When I step back and... Honestly, had some struggles logically with what I thought I believed. Part of what triggered this is I had some 
key mentors in my life who really pushed me at some of the places that I've tried to, to typically and on an ongoing basis in our church push us as a church. And that is that we uh, are responsible for being salt and light in a very dark world. And so as I began to listen to these guys teach and understand that I was being pushed out uh, into the community with the good news of Jesus Christ, we'll come to that in a little bit, but as I started doing that, one of those guys said, you you need to be able to relate to the people you're talking to, which means you need to listen to them. So I started listening. I was a church guy, okay? My dad was a pastor. I I was in church all the time. I I was telling the earlier service this morning and thought about it until I was in the middle of preaching that sermon. Uh, See, I do think while I'm preaching. Um, I was with my parents. We went to church all the time, all the time, even on vacation. I never understood that as a preacher's kid. It's vacation. We were in the middle of New Mexico. If you've ever been to New Mexico, they call it the land of enchantment. I've reminded you of this before. There's only one sliver of enchantment in New Mexico. The rest of it is just throwaway land. People don't even own land in New Mexico. In some of those places, it's just government land because nobody wants it. We were in the middle of some of that kind of land in New Mexico on a Sunday morning, going to Colorado. We were going to spend a week, go skiing and all that kind of stuff in the middle, in this little village in New Mexico. It was church time. And my dad, the Baptist preacher, pulled into the parking lot of a little Catholic church. I looked at my brother and said, can we do this? (laughs) Well, apparently so. It was time to go to church. We were going to church. I was a church kid. I knew the answers. I even knew the questions to the answers, which is somewhat different. different. I grew up like that. And so I get this guy in my life who starts talking about relating to people who are not church people. You know, that kind of resonated with me because I went through a period of my life where I totally chunked the whole church thing. And I was out doing my thing, which had nothing to do with Jesus or the church. So I started hanging around with non-church people. So there have been those times with all of that background, when I come to things like the virgin birth. Have you ever stopped to consider just how that sounds in the ear of a person who's not a church person? Or the other one, which is the raised from the dead deal. Now, I'm not trying to make you doubt. Matter of fact, quite the opposite. What I'm trying to do is let you know that I've been through times in my life where I step back from this whole thing and I go, I don't know about that. But you see, churches train people not to think like that and not to be honest like that. And so we immediately jump into, well, this is the truth. And if I tell myself enough, then I'll convince myself that I believe it. I'd much rather you investigate it and then believe it. So I want to give you permission to live with some of those questions that you have. So back to the deal. In the middle of one of these times, I happened to be in college. And I was in a Christian doctrine class. Back to the Baptists love to fight about stuff like that. And so my professor also had been my pastor at First Baptist Church of Plainview, Dr. Fred Meeks. 
If ever there was a pastor that I had who knew scripture, he was a scholar's scholar, but he put it right down on the bottom shelf, and you'd have never known that he was a genius if you didn't read the stuff about him somewhere else. And in this class, Christian doctrine, he's teaching us some of these basic doctrines of, the, of our faith. And I'd been going through one of those times where I wasn't totally sure about some things and I was struggling with some stuff. And Dr. Meeks said this. You know, guys, there have been a number of times in my life and my ministry where I really doubted this whole Christian stuff. I want you to know, it was like a light came on for me. It wasn't so much that I was happy that we were in the same boat, because you can be on the Titanic, be in the same boat. That's not a happy occurrence. What I was happy about was, here's a guy who gives me permission to be honest about what I'm thinking. Apparently, Theophilus was in the same boat. Because Luke says, I'm going to tell you this story. And the reason for it, again in verse 4, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. I, I could give you a string of those. I, now, I, I'm not a journaling kind of guy. Okay? You know journaling is where you sit down and you throw up on your paper through your fingers. I'm not that kind of guy. I'm sorry, did I say that? I thought that I was thinking that. Um, I'm not that kind of guy. But when I went to school the last time, they made us do journaling, and we had to turn in a report at the end of every month to let them know that we had been journaling. Hated it. Every second of that, I hated it. But this week, when I was pulling together resources for this sermon series that we're going to be going through, I came across the journal that I used when they were making me do that. And the, uh, I sure hope that's not God saying you shouldn't be doubting me, don't you? <laughs> but see, that's how church people think. So I pulled up this journal and I opened it up and out of the back of it fell this folded up piece of paper. And I didn't, I thought, I don't know what that's doing in there. I was hoping it had money in it, but it didn't. And uh, so I opened it up and I, I saw what I wrote at the top of the page and I started to fold it up and put it away because I knew immediately what it was. Went through a period in my life before we moved here Actually, the date was May the 27th, 2010. I was going through some hard stuff. Some of those hard questions of, do I even want to do this? Am I, am, you know, is this, what am I doing? Stuff. I'm going to share a little bit of what I wrote, okay? Not because I'm proud of it. I'm more proud of what God did with it, okay? Number two. I won't bother you with number one. Number two says... My life, spiritually, is a wreck. And underneath that, I said, I sit and I acknowledge that I have very real questions about God. How can a minister of the gospel have such a fundamentally flawed faith? And then I wrote later, as I reflect on that, I've been trying to live in my own strength. The failures of my life and my faith reflect that. 
And so then God began to give me some answers. Here's one of them. My conclusion is that my concept of God may be flawed. But I cannot negate my experiences as having consistency with what the Bible teaches. So here's what I want you to hear from that. Okay, I'll flesh it out for you. Even though in my head I had these questions about what I thought about God, as I started looking at my life and comparing them with what Scripture teaches, I found that Scripture teaches such that my life bears out the truth of that. Okay? Like, for instance, when you choose to live in your own strength, you are destined to a life below the level that God called you to live. So we have passages that says in Christ we are more than conquerors, right? But when I'm living in my own strength, I'm less than a conqueror. I'm defeated, if I understand Scripture right, okay? So whether I have questions about God or not, the reality of God and life that he gives us is if you live it this way and the Bible says you should live it this way, the results that you get are going to be consistent with what the Bible teaches. That's credibility for the Bible. So what I want you to get from all of that, before we even get into this study, on the very front end of it, Luke wades into that with a story. I'm so concerned. I'm going to have to finish the message here, and I'm halfway through where I need to go. Not to worry. We'll pick it up. we got lots of time in Luke coming. My concern is that Christianity of the 21st century has opted for a checkbox approach to what we believe and do. Of all people, Marilyn Manson tagged us as Christian people. You know who Marilyn Manson was? Just go do a little YouTube search in this afternoon on Marilyn Manson and be thoroughly upset over what you see. Here's a guy, I guess he's a guy, I know his time's passed. He's not on the scene anymore, okay? I get that. I'm not trying to, you know, be contemporary and be like 10 years behind. I understand. Marilyn Manson vocally, visibly stood against the cause of Christ because he had grown up in church schools. He wrote a song about having a personal Jesus. Nobody's smart enough to be all wrong, and he was partially right. I believe that churches are full of Christian people who adopt the name of Christ, but all they really have is a concept. Luke writes his story to wade into the mess of life, and he says, bring it all and put it here and sift through the reality that is the story of Jesus Christ. I don't mind telling you my doubts and those things like that because without fail, when I've taken those to the story of Jesus Christ, I always walk away confirmed that it's true. But you know, that's my testimony. What's your story? 
The reality of this, and we didn't even get to this, but we're going to. I promise you, we're going to get so to this that you're going to wish we never got to it because Luke will not let us off the hook. Our responsibility is to be storytellers, not just story receivers. You see that in these first four verses. Go look at verses 2 and 3 and take your place among a group of people who were walking with Jesus and they could not keep it to themselves. And yet we live in a time when Christian people endorse the idea in the name of safety and security, let's build tall buildings and tall walls around our buildings and hunker down inside lest the dirty, rotten world touch us. If that's you, you're going to hate the book of Luke because Jesus consistently says to his church, Get out there because there's a story to tell. Let's pray. So where are you with Jesus today? It's possible that wherever you are, that that concept, that idea of a personal Jesus, he's mine and nobody else's and I'll just hold on to him and my world's great because of that. And you hear this stuff today and it makes you pretty uncomfortable. We love to be a people with all the answers and never bother to ask the real questions. Who is this Jesus? Father, we ask you to take this message and drive it home for us. If we, as individual people here today have been guilty of taking the whole idea of Christianity and the the whole picture we have of little Jesus meek and mild. We set it on our shelves and we make it personal and we hold on to it and that's as far as it goes. And we never, never consider the claims that you make on us, not just to give us the name, but to force us, to call us to your character. Father, help us to redream this dream, to review, to view again with fresh eyes the story of all stories. Help us to be willing to come and lay all of our preconceived ideas down at the foot of the cross and let you be God again. In Jesus' name.